Thank you. I feel like I already had church too. It's always kind of humiliating to try to preach after stuff like that because it was so ministering to me so much. You know, it's like, oh, I can't do this, Lord. Hey, I want to tell you something. That's why I'm here, right? <laughs> otherwise, I should. Otherwise, I should sit down. <laughs> so, uh, wow, you know, the Lord is reconciling things. Uh, this is a time of things being reconciled. Uh, you know, back in the old days, I don't know if people still do it or not, uh, they reconciled their checkbook, right? I suppose people still do that. I never did it. That's why Becky took over the checkbook. <laughs> I, I, I can remember when ATMs became real popular. That was devastating. <laughs> I'd just go do it, and I'd have all these receipts in the back seat of my car. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So, but God is, there's things in our lives that God wants to reconcile for us. Do you hear what I'm telling you? He wants to bring things to closure. He wants to fix things and adjust things in your life. And that's what the Holy Spirit's really doing that in a lot of people's life right now. Yeah, bring in balance. That's a financial thing. Balance things out for you. And so I just really encourage you to, to allow him to do that. If he brings stuff, thoughts up to you, memories up to you, or, or brings people that suddenly, uh, you know, it brings back things to you, let, it means that that's a door open for God to solve some things in your life. And so it's been just a really great time being around the Lord doing that. Uh, and me personally and with with people I've been been able to talk to some and and pray with about things like that. So it's, it's just beautiful. I just want to just give the Lord the honor for that no this time that we're in is not a wasted time. He really is still working in our hearts and still working for our best and our future best. Okay, we're not on some in some holding pattern right now. We're in a time where he really is working in people. So I said all that to tell you, you know, uh, I can remember uh, back in the uh, 80s, for some of you, you might not even been born then, right? <laughs> That's crazy, man. Did y'all know that uh, Matthew Bollinger has the potential, we all may have that potential to be a grandparent, Because, I just wanted to say this, maybe I'm out of line, but stand up Judah. <laughs> stand up Judah. Where's Judah? That ain't Judah in the hat. No, that's Gage. Anyways, Judah's going to come back in here. Judah, is Amy? Is that? Yes, there she is. I thought that was Amy. They are engaged to get married. So stand up Amy. Don't be embarrassed. So we want to just, everybody reach your hands out to them. Let's just pray for them that they would have a really great uh, engagement. Amen. And that they would be wise in their engagement. Let me give you some advice. Be wise. Use wisdom. Okay. It's worth the wait. So we want to bless you. And that let this be a special time in your life. 
and in your family's life. So, Father, we just thank you for, for engagements and marriage. And I just pray for the beauty of the Lord to be all over them and that this would be a time where they would not only be in love with each other and enjoying each other, but they would find you in each other. And they would fall more in love with you in this time. And we just ask you to give their parents a grace and give their parents wisdom. And whoever's paying for the wedding, give them a lot of money. <laughs> Bless you guys. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Judah grew up in the church. We've known him all his life. We used to fuss at him. and now Actually, he was the kind of kid that never needed to be fussed at. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Now, his brother, mm, another question. <laughs> he needed to be fussed at. <laughs> yeah. And so well, I wasn't sure Matthew was going to be here today because of that, but we'd like to get you to come back just before the year's out and preach. Okay. Yeah. We weren't, weren't exactly sure, so just set up a time with me and we'll do that. So thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. Anyways, back in the late 80s, uh, I was... Uh, really called by the Lord. It was like a new time in my life, and I knew the Lord was going to, I had already felt God was going to put me in the ministry. At the time, I was working as an engineer, and it, but it was like this new season came into my life where God really began to equip me in a different way for, for my future. And one of the things, it was such a great time because where we lived in, down in Pineville, North Carolina, uh, just south of Charlotte, it's called the parking lot of Charlotte. <laughs> because it's so much. We lived there, and there was a church there called Life Spring Church. And the pastor who used to pastor a church has spoken here many times, Randall Worley. And he would have all these guest speakers come in. And uh, so I would go and listen to these amazing Bible teachers, just Bob Mumford. Y'all probably never heard of him, but. Yeah, I mean, he was like the hot dog back in those days. I mean, blow your mind. I mean, I go back and listen to stuff he says now. I'm still, my mind's still blown. I've never, like, been there to, uh, there's a guy named Dudley Hall from Texas um, that came, uh, what's the guy who wrote uh, Spiritual Burnout? Malcolm Smith. He was there. I mean, yeah, it was, and I really f- was receiving a lot of downloads from, from the Lord in that time. Uh, that was also when uh, Morningstar first started in Charlotte, and they they had a they started doing this thing called School of the Spirit on Friday nights, and like in a three or four car garage meeting room, that was a three or four car garage, and they converted it into a meeting room, and so they started bringing all these amazing people in, like Bobby Connor, all these real prophetic people. Bob Jones, Larry Randolph. That's where I got to meet all these people in that time. And, and, and I didn't really know what really the Holy Spirit was doing in my life. I didn't know how much he was equipping me. I've spent a lot of time on this. You want to hear it? <laughs> I really didn't know what the Holy Spirit was doing in me. But I knew he was, he was doing something in me. And I had this hunger for God that was incredible. It was, it was supernatural. I had a hunger for the Bible. I read the Bible. I would get up in the morning and read, get up early and read 10 chapters in the Bible, literally. I would, my lunch hour at work, I would go and read the Bible the whole time. When I got home from work, 
the first thing I wanted to do, I need to read the Bible. The first thing is because I just had this desire in me, this hunger in me to know God, to know what God was all about, you know, and really know what the Bible was all about. And it was like I just couldn't get enough enough of it. It was insatiable to me. And I couldn't get enough of listening to anointed preachers. I mean, it was really a, an amazing time. And I, the crazy thing is I didn't really... I wasn't really understanding what the Holy Spirit was doing in me. It was, it was just like happening to me, but I didn't realize. I just thought that's the way we should be. We should always be hungry. We should always be reading 40 or 50 chapters out of the Bible a day, you know, uh, until the grace of God lifted on me one day. I realized it was all grace, that, and suddenly I couldn't read 10 chapters no more. You know, I was like, oh, this is really hard all of a sudden. What's wrong? I can read one or two chapters. But, but here's the thing. This is what I'm telling you. One of the things that God did in me in that time is he gave me a lot of, through some of the preachings and through some of the readings, a lot of revelation about King David. And I really began to really just soak up his life. I mean, incredibly soaked up his life. And, and how he was such a, a, an example or a forerunner, if you will, or, or however you want to, of, of, of Christ, really. On one level, he's just an amazing picture of what the Lord Jesus became. Uh, and, but on another picture, he's an amazing picture of what we all should be, of how we should live our lives and how we should, uh, you know, what should be vital to us. I can remember reading some of these verses about David and realizing, realizing how, how uh, worship was, it was such a vital part of his life and thinking that needs to be a vital part of my life because I realized he's there for a reason. Uh, and you know the thing in Acts 13 where it says David was a man after God's heart. And that, that was the thing. He was a man after God's heart. And that's, that's what I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to be a man after God. That was my dream for my life. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy who's passionate for the Lord and sold out for the Lord. And, and God is everything to me because that's the way David was. And I wanted to be that. And somehow, you know, this stuff takes a lifetime. You know what I'm telling you? This stuff takes a lifetime. It do, this doesn't happen in a moment. It takes a lifetime to become whatever God's put in you to really become. And I think he's put in all of us to be like a David in some, some level. And there's other people in the Bible, you know, I'm totally infatuated with Abraham, you know, because he's, a fa he's the father of faith and his journeys and all that is, is, is amazing to me. And, and then, you know, I think I've shared some on Caleb being, you know, this guy with this determination that really got him through through. So, so I have this, you know, last week I stored, I hope I got, is that okay, Becky? Was that enough? <laughs> it really was a blessing not only to hear those people, but get to know many of them, uh, of those people. And those people became, you know, you, God takes you through phases at life where you have these different people and, and different revelations that he's given you and speaking into your life. And then he brings you into another thing where this a whole nother, that was a whole nother realm that God opened to me at that point. Before, there was another realm uh, that I was being exposed to. But now I got exposed to all of that. And, you know, got some, you know, like 
friends forever, you know, from that time. So I wanted to read this to you. Uh, it, this is a story out of David's life. Um, I should be saying, well, I think I'm going to preach some messages on David, but I will not say that exactly <laughs> because the Lord could change things. You know what I'm saying? Okay, now, uh, this is uh, Acts or 1 Samuel 18, verse 12 through 16. This is such a beautiful thing here. It says, now Saul was afraid of David. This is after David killed Goliath in chapter 7. Remember I talked to you last week about killing your giants? This, this is what happened Sometimes after that, shortly after that. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Boy, doesn't that grab your heart? Because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. That's not what you want to hear about yourself, you know. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Isn't that amazing? Uh, therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Hear, hear this repetitive thing coming in here? But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So here's the thing. This is four things. There's four, at least four things in here that has just, is just amazing. Is number one was this thing because of the because of the fear of the Lord, okay? That David had this fear of the Lord working on him, uh, um, and and usually when we think about the fear of the Lord, you know, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We all want to have the fear of the Lord, but David, the fear, the way the fear of the Lord was operating on David, Saul was afraid of him. In other words, the demons in Saul looked at David, and there was this fear. Because, because of the Lord being with David. And see, that's really where the church has to come to the place. We've got to come to the place where demon, people who are demonized don't want to mess with you. I'm just telling you that right now. That's, that's, that's a very real thing. I don't know, probably several people in this room have had this experience of going somewhere else besides your hometown and home and getting challenged on the streets where somebody says something to you like, what are you doing here? Who sent you here? And you know it's not that person talking. It's a devil in them. It's because the fear of the Lord is setting on you. And these demons begin to react. See, we need to be having those kind of experiences. Or when you're somewhere and they look at you and you see their face twist. You're like, ooh, that was weird. That wasn't natural. You see, that was what was going on with with. Saul was afraid of was afraid of David, and see that's a, another level of the fear of the Lord that God really wants to release to His people. That's part of these blessings. The other one was it said two times that God was with David, that God was with him. Okay, so that's what we want. That's our dream is for the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord rested on David, and and so that's really. What we're seeing here is some of the things that made David, David, okay? And the other one was he said he acted wisely. He acted wisely. In other words, David had this supernatural wisdom from God. And the decisions he was making and how he was behaving himself and how he was acting, he had this wisdom working. And we've got to, we've got to tap into this wisdom. And the last thing it says, 
that the people loved David. David had favor with people. Now, so those are those four things uh, that, that I believe belongs to every person in Christ. I, we have been given all of these, these four things as a gift from God. Are you, so I want you to make this real clear. This is not something that we earn. This is not something we work for. This is something we receive. This is something we cooperate with. This is something we allow to grow in us and develop in us. This is something we, we want. We, we would place a desire to be this be like this, to have the presence of the Lord, have the fear of the Lord working on us, have the wisdom of God. Are, are y'all ta- hear what I'm talking about? So I just want to make it clear right now. I'm not talking about trying to get anything. I'm, I'm talking about allowing God to grow us into something and of us to become something. And like I say, back in those days, that was the thing that really struck me is these types of things about David that made me want that. It made me desire to be like that. That's what I want for my life, Jesus. I want want that. I want demons to be afraid of me. I want them to be scared when I walk in the room that they're not going to be messing around with me or anybody I'm connected with because if they are, they know something's going to happen that they're not going to be appreciative of. I want to act wisely in all my things. Wow, wouldn't that be great? Whoa, here's a confession. I'm not always acting wisely and saying wisely things. I mean, I, I, when I was in Korea, I met this person, and actually they was like my babysitter over there. You know, when you go into another country, you need babysitters sometimes to make sure you do culturally wise things and, you know, all these things, which I realized I was doing stupid stuff over there. But this person had a lot of issues in their life. I mean, they were real identity issues, rejection issues. and So I spent like 10 days with this person, and I wore them out about all that stuff. I just challenged them to no end and about who they were and their identity and why, why they were so messed up and so insecure and so stupid acting. You know. And so that was sort of my story with them. And then I left, and then a, a few some time passed and they sent me this email and they were thanking me for being so kind to them I thought I wasn't kind to you you know but for really paying attention to them and listening to them and I thought wow that was great but then I read my response to them and I thought what an idiot I mean here's this person that God somehow touched and my response was just stupid you know what I'm saying? Do y'all know what I'm saying? In other words, you find this out about yourself. I'm not all, I don't really have it together all the time. And I really make some bad mistakes in my life. I say some things I shouldn't say. And I realize that's part of reconcile. It's, there's things that need to be reconciled in our life because we don't realize sometimes how we come across. Because when I read my response, I thought, you arrogant son of a gun. That's what I thought about myself. That feels arrogant. It felt arrogant to me. And I felt so broken at that moment that I had an arrogant attitude. I guess I did. I don't remember writing it, but it felt arrogant to me. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be that way, Lord. And I am so sorry if I was being arrogant at that moment because that person didn't deserve 
me to act arrogant towards them. They, they deserve your welcome. God bless you. I hope this, this will be the beginning of something even better in your life. It was all, it was all Jesus. You know, instead of some ridiculous thing. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't realize how we're acting when we think we're acting right. You know, and, and we really need to learn to act wisely. Um, okay, well, amen. Thank you. I'm just saying we need to give the Holy Spirit a chance to grow us up. You know, and when we don't do it right, we need to be we need to be willing to say, I didn't do it right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And that really will release the power of God in your life. And if you want things reconciled in your life, that's the way you, you things get reconciled, is you buy the truth about yourself, you know, when, when God begins to reveal the truth about you. And then the grace of God can be working in your life, and you can become a different person. Well, there you go. I feel like I've spent a long time saying all that. I didn't mean to say any of that. I wanted to point out this phrase in here that it mentioned two times, which I think is very important. It says, David went out and came in before the people. In fact, it says the people loved him because, because he went out and came in before the people. Okay? So this is a, that was an eye-catcher for me. Is what the heck is, why are people loving him? Because he went out and came in. And why, it, you know, you, sometimes when you're reading the Scripture, if something's being repeated in a few verses, you need to, like, that's kind of important. And so here's what I found out about that phrase, went out and came in. It appears about 25, I'm saying about because I don't know exactly, around 25 times in the Bible. So it's, a, it's an important phrase in the Bible. Here's, here's one of the times that it, I'll just give you a few examples. I didn't put them up on the screen. Moses' last address, or his address, maybe not his last one, his address to the children of Israel explaining to them that he's not going into the promised land. And one of the things he said, I'm no longer able to go out and come in before you. I'm no longer able to do that. And besides that, the Lord told me I couldn't. That's what he said. I thought, right, so that's the real reason. But, you know, you got this other, you got, obviously you got this other deal going, but, you know, you got God saying you're not going. But uh, another time Moses said that when he was praying and talking to the Lord about his replacement. He said something like this, I need a man who can go out and come in before the people. I thought, wow, when I started reading that. Go out and come in. What is, what is he talking about? Uh, well, you know, many of you know Deuteronomy 28, you know, the blessing and curse chapter in the Bible. And one of them is, says, you'll be blessed when you go out, and you will be blessed when you come in. I thought, wow, that's cool. Well, here's another really cool one. Jesus actually used that term, go out and come in, in John 10. He says, he who enters by the door, door being himself, will be able to go out and come in and find pasture. Wow. That kind of settles the, settles the story. That's an important phrase. Well, I wanted to give you this one verse. Are y'all following this so far? I think this is really important. This is the one I wanted to give you just because I think it explains it to me 
It's Joshua 14, 11, speaking of Caleb. When Caleb went to, to Joshua and said, Joshua, you've got to give me what was promised to me, what Moses promised me, my land. He's going to Joshua. I'm going to get it. I want my, to get it. And this is what he said. He said in, in verse 11, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me being a spy. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength, listen, for war, both going out and coming in. And if you look at the context of the what I just read to you in 1 Samuel 18, Saul made him a captain over a thousand. In other words, what it was talking about, it was talking about warfare. Going out and coming in. That's, that's what this, this is all about. This is very important in our lives. It's to understand that if we're going to really walk in these blessings, that see, he was walking in these blessings because he had this understanding about how God designed life to work on this earth. And he had this understanding that part of this life on this earth is warfare. And that you are going to have to engage in warfare whether you want to or not. And if you'll begin to learn how to engage in warfare, you can begin by doing, you can be actually begin to receive some of these blessings from the Lord. You can begin to walk in, in wisdom because God is going to bless the life that he's ordained for you. Are y'all following me? This is really important, okay? Because there's going to be, in all of our lives, personally, there's going to be seasons of warfare. That's going out. There's going to be those seasons when your life is, is going to have, to have to, there's battles to be fought. There's spiritual battles to be fought. And there's going to be seasons in your life called coming in when that's the time to be renewed, restored, refreshed, be learn how to be this worshiper and lover of God. Are you following me? And that's how David lived his life. And that's why the people loved him because they saw that he was willing to go out and deal with things, but he's also willing to come in when the time was to come in and love God and be infatuated with God. Are you all following this? I want to tell you that was why David was a worshiper and a warrior. That's one of the things, if you really study his life, that was the two things that would stick out to you, that he was, a, he was an absolute worshiper and he was an absolute warrior. Can I, I wanted to read this. I know I'm going to have to read it fast, but I'm just going to read it to you. This is the worship part, but I really want to talk to you about the warfare part, okay? But I, I do want to not forget this. Psalm 27, verse 4, it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, that really is the foundation of David's life. That was the thing. That that was the thing that drove him. That was what he wanted to do with his life. He didn't say, I want to go out and fight giants. I want to go out and kill people and do it. No, I want to dwell with the Lord. I want to be with God. I want to be with Him. I want to be in His temple. I want to be in His presence. I want to look at God. I want to behold God. And I want to ask God about things. I want to see life the way God sees it. That was what he was saying there. He was desirous of those things. And so he was just, and he became the greatest worshiper. In the Bible. And he created this, when he became king, he created this whole 
a thing of 24-hour worship. He's the one who came up with that concept. Of, and he put people in place to worship God because he wanted God to be worshipped because he loved God. He loved God and he wanted God to be honored. And he went to all this expense and trouble to create an atmosphere of worship in the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel prospered under David because of this worship. And God actually literally, literally rested in a tent in Israel. He literally, the presence of God came and settled down where anyone, any person could go and have a and visit with God, visit with His presence. The, this was not the tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses was over in Shiloh, I believe, while David, it was still there, but God was in the tent in David's backyard. He saw the heart of David and he said, that's where I'm going. And if he wants to build me a tent, that's fine. And, you know, David came up with this ideal one day. Hey, I'm, I'm living in this beautiful cedar house, and I'm going to build God a house. And, and you, know, you know that story. It didn't wind up that he built it, but Solomon built the temple. But that was really what David was. But David was also a warrior, y'all. He was a warrior. And that's a part of our Christian life that, I'll, I'll, my, uh, you know, back in the '90s, I was kind of in that war, war mode. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know about you, but that was a big part of my life. Is, is, is I was in a war mode. That's that appealed to me at that point in my life, um, because just who I was as a person, I, I felt like there was something God put into me for warfare. And that's who I was, and I really went after it. But, you know, like all things, you know, I kind of got burned out doing stuff. You know, you can kind of go beyond where God is. You know what I'm saying? And so I kind of bailed out of the, the warfare world for a while and got into the love world. I got into the one thing world. You know what I'm saying? I love that one thing world better actually than the warfare world now. Let's look at the one thing world, the worshiper world, and then you got the warfare world. I love, I would like for me at this point in my life, I'm, I'm a greater, I'm a lover more than I'm a warrior. Like that's how I feel about God. I'd really just love on God and be with God and enjoy God. That's my passion. But I've realized, I've realized something. We're in a war. We're in a war. We're in a desperate war. The world is in a desperate war. We don't know how deep and dark things really are. We don't know. The stuff that's happening in our nation is surface. There's evil, evil, evil that's at work all over the world. And we're not in a time where there's a great revival or a great awakening. Those, to me, are the mostly loving God times. We're in a time of war. We're in a time where God, like David, he went out and he came in. Moses says, I can't go out for war anymore and come in before the war with people and be a worshiper. I can't do it no more. I'm done. 
And so we're in a time where God is really wanting, whether we want it or not, whether we like, like it or not, or agree. This is not about politics. This is not about the election. This is about what is really happening with us in this world. Is We're in a massive war. There is a devil. He's real, and he's mean, and he's out to destroy human beings. And he has came out hard in this time. Way harder than any other time in my Christian life that I've experienced. And we've, I've even had several people like, man, I feel like I'm in a war, man. That's the way a lot of people feel. And it is true. You're in a war. You're in a war. And if we don't learn this go in and come out stuff, we're not going to be able to prosper in wisdom. We're not going to prosper in the presence of the Lord. Okay? We're not going to prosper in the fear of the Lord. We're not going to prosper in the favor of the people. We won't prosper in those things. Those things won't become a part of us. We'll stop growing in those things. So this really is a call to warfare. That's, that's really what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now. And I'm going to promise you this, everybody. No matter who wins the elections, the war's not over. It's just not. I'm sorry. I wish it was. Let me, let me tell you this one thing. I didn't want to share this earlier because I thought, well, this is, this is bummer stuff, man. And I, I don't want to bring bummer stuff into church today. But, you know, the Lord gave me two very powerful dreams this week. And, and the one I had last night was super disturbing to me. Super disturbing. I mean, it bothered me big time. The one I had the night before bothered me also. But, but this is, I'm going to just tell you what the one the night before was. I saw a wave of coronavirus coming our way, a wave of it. And I'm going to tell you how I saw it. I saw a graph. I was an engineer in my other life. I can look at graphs and interpret them. And I saw this wave of this virus coming. And then I saw, and I knew it, then I saw this person. And this person looked at me. And when he looked at me, I don't know how all this works, but he communicated to me. And this is what he told me. He said, I'm an enforcer. So he said, I'm an enforcer. I'm going to enforce this virus. And he said, there's nothing you can do to stop me because I have a legal right to do this. That's what he said to me. I have a legal right. And right then I realized, this is no demon here. This is like a power and principality. This is not something you cast out. This is something you have to wrestle down. And so we have to really, you see what I'm saying? We have to pray. We have to stop this. If we don't pray, it could happen. I hope it don't happen because, well, we prayed and stopped it. Well, Byron, it never happened, so you missed the Lord. And I'm happy. Please let me, somebody can tell me I missed the Lord. I hope to God I did, you know. I don't believe I did. That dream was from the Lord. I'll tell you the other dream, too. We were standing out here in the front of the church. This is important. Gosh, come over here. That, my time's out, y'all. <laughs> standing out in front of the church, but there was a balcony up there, and we were standing on it. And this, you know where a suburban is? It's one of these big old vehicles. This suburban came driving into the parking lot. And there were several people in our church out there. It was like, it was like after church. And several of our black people were out there. And somebody in the suburban rolled their window down and said, you in. And I got really upset. 
You know what I'm saying? The N word. I got real. I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that. And so I, I went after the people in the suburban. They got out of the car, and actually, this is what dis, was was shocking to me. I didn't know. I don't. I don't. Almost, I don't literally know these people, but in the dream, I knew them. I knew them as believers. I knew them as believers. And I said, you can't, you're not doing this here. You're not going to do this. And because one of them wanted to greet me like, hey, you know, and like, no, you're not doing this. We're not doing this here. You got to get, you got to leave. Well, a clash happened. In other words, some of the people in our church went out there and wanted to fight these people physically, which I was feeling like it, but I wasn't. Okay. One person in the church actually had a sword. And showed it to me like, I'm going to go out and get them. And I said, no. And I made everybody in our church stop fighting them. I made them, no, you can't fight them. you got to go up to the balcony where I'm at so you can see what God's seeing. God sees something in people's hearts right now. And so what we had to do, you see, this stuff can come to us. You hear what I'm saying? This stuff can come to Mooresville. This stuff can come to our parking lot. This stuff can come into our church. Racism that he spoke about. Being prejudiced. Hating somebody because of the color of their skin. And the Lord wants us to put a stop to that. He don't want us to fight people about it. He wants us to war in the spirit. These are like wars. We've got to fight. These are battles that we must fight. We must fight these battles. We must. We must. If we don't, we're going we're gonna to let the enemy have his... The devil controls the narrative on racism in our country. The devil controls it. The devil has got language out there. He's got a vocabulary. He's got all the stuff he's using, and we are being beat by it because we have, we're not doing anything. We've got to step up to the plate. We've got to start forcing things in the spirit. We can't win it on the ground. It's like I, what I read to you last week, Rick Joyner says, is you've got to get the battle out of the natural into the spiritual which is your place to battle at. And when you do that, you can win the war. You can beat this thing. Are y'all following this? Well, I didn't want to say that because it seems negative to me. But it really is the Lord, I'm telling you. Those dreams, you know, you be careful when you ask the Lord about dreams and you have these nice little sweet prophetic dreams about people and then all of a sudden he throws, starts throwing stuff at you like that. You still want to have dreams? I do. Can I read this one to you though? You know, or maybe I should stop. All I wanted to do today, really, is try to encourage you about spiritual warfare. That's, that's really this whole thing about David. Let me read this. This is beautiful. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Isn't that, isn't that Romans 8? Is that not the best thing ever? I mean, that's just, a, I mean, that's the best thing there is. And when you really find out about love, you find out how awesome his love is. And then Paul saying, he goes through this list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword. As it's written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So this is it. David had this, this, this kind of summarized. He had this dual revelation. This dual revelation of love 
and this revelation of warfare. There's going to be peril. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be the sword, which would mean warfare. There are going to be those things. But you will never be a more than conqueror. See, that's the point of this. You can't be more, more than a conqueror if you're not walking in both. And see, that's what I think happened to me back in the 90s. I was walking in the, in the sword realm. I was walking in the warfare realm. I wasn't walking in the love realm. You see what I'm saying? And see, what happens in our life, if that's, we do that, then we get off. It's like we got one wing that works well, but the other wing is like hanging. And that was really, I think if you got a picture of me like I was a bird, I had one powerful warfare wing that I was slamming and jamming with. But my other wing was, was really weak. It was like, you know, one of these bodybuilders, their upper bodies look like massive rocks. Their biceps are big. They got 50-inch chest, but their legs are skinny. Because they won't do leg, and that's the what I was. That part of me, that part of me was not developed. The warfare in me wasn't there, or, or the love wasn't in me. And God spent years teaching us love, teaching us to receive Him and to be blasted in the Holy Spirit and be anointed by the Holy Spirit and just get, I mean, soaking in the presence of the Lord was the ultimate part of my day. Every day, that was the part I wanted to do. Let me go somewhere and just soak in the presence of God and just receive and receive. And there was so much grace for a really long time. For a really long time. You know? But then things changed. Things really changed. And let me read this one to you right quick. I'm going to finish in a minute, okay? Or two. Put on God's complete, this is, everybody knows this, but put on God's complete set of armor provided for you, for us. Put it on. That's what Paul's saying. You've got to put this. Why would he say put on armor? Armor is for fighting people. That's why that's in the Bible. He's saying you are going to have a fight on your hands. Put this armor on. God's given you everything you need to have victory. But fighting men and women wear armor. There's no other reason for we don't just dress up like fighting people to look cool and take pictures. Now he's saying put it on, you know, put it on so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. We need to be, have our armor. That's what he was saying. You're going to have to fight against these, this evil that's coming at you. You know, David said something beautiful in Psalm 141. I love this. Blessed be the Lord my rock. I used to really get into this first back in those warfare days. Blessed be the Lord my who trains my hands for war. Trains them for war and my fingers for battle. I was into that, man. Come on. We're going to go kick some devil's rear ends. We're going to clear some things out here. We're going to stop putting up with this foolishness. You know, that was a beautiful time. It really was. Let me read Acts 10, 38. This is what warfare looked in Jesus' life. This is from the Message Bible. I'm rushing y'all, but this is worth the rush. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. See, this, this is important. This is important. Ready for action. The anointing is not just for pleasure. The anointing is not just for an experience. It's really not. If God's given you anointing for something, it's for action. It's to do something. With it. And this is what Jesus did with his anointing. He went through the country helping people and healing everyone. That's warfare in Jesus' life. He went through the country helping people and healing people. That's warfare. That's the warfare of Jesus Christ, our King. 
It really is, and it's still our warfare. It's still a big aspect of our warfare. And you can take helping people and define that however it needs to be defined in your particular realm. There's lots of leeway in the kingdom to define these kind of things. But there is this healing thing, healing everyone who's beaten down by the devil. He was able to do this because what? God was with him. That's why it's so important for us to really cultivate this going in and coming out thing. All right, let me read this last one. Everybody, everybody's happy. Yes, I, I think you. I think you're okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be really careful so I won't get fussed at. Second Samuel 11. This is famous, but this is important, y'all. This is really important. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab, which is his military commander and his servants with him, and all Israel. In other words, he sent his whole army out. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Raboth. Uh, let me just explain this to you, because I always wondered about the springtime thing. What's the deal? Some spiritual clue here, Lord. Well, this is really what it means if you study history. Wintertime, it was too wet and too cold for soldiers to fight. They'd get bogged down. So they didn't fight. No, no armies fought in winter. Summertime, it was too hot and too dry. No armies fought in the summer. The fall, it was harvest. It was get your food. The only time of the year that they could fight and they would fight was the springtime. So it was a very practical thing that armies would engage each other in the spring of every year. Y'all get that? I, th- I thought that was cool because I always thought there was some spiritual deep insight there and for years I asked the Lord about it and then you know, finally I found some people in Israel who understood stuff and they said well that's just that's easy dummy <laughs> you're trying to read too much into it okay but here's the thing I want to point out we all know this David David didn't go it says but David remained at Jerusalem David remained at Jerusalem y'all hear that think about it David stayed at home when David was supposed to be going out. You hear what I'm telling you? David stayed at home when he was supposed to be going out to fight. Christians can't just stay at home when they're supposed to be going out. I'm talking figuratively speaking. If you stay at home, guess what? Well, y'all know the story. Then it happened one evening. This happened, right? The devil's good. He knows how to set things up. That David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. David was a human being, guys. Okay, He saw this woman. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. And, of course, you know the downward spiral that that took David. And it was all because why? David stayed at home. If you don't go out the battle, guess where the battle comes? I, I want to tell you all this. You are going to be in a battle. You can either take it out there or you can let it come to your house. That's what that tells me. There's a battle, period. We can fight the battle where we're supposed to fight it or we can let that battle come to us, get into our house and wreak havoc on our house. You know what happened to King David after that? You know the story. We all think, well, he lost the baby. That was terrible. But actually, this opened up a door on David. He actually lost total four children to death. 
that's pretty tragic. And a lot of people put David down for being a bad parent. Well, really, this is where his problem started. You know, he quit going in and coming out like he did at first. And it cost him. It cost his family. It cost, it cost the nation. It cost everybody who was around David. It cost them. And see, this is what happens to Christianity. When Christianity decides we're, not, we're just going to be lovers. That's all we're going to be. That's so cool. That's so great. I just want to be a lover. That's the best thing. And I think it is the best thing. But if we don't become warriors, then there's a battle. When the battle happens, it's, coming to, it's going to come into your house. It's going to come right to where you don't want it to come. It's going to touch the things that are most precious to you. But if you'll go out, you can keep it out of your house. You can, because it, you can beat it. You can beat it. You have an amazing destiny. You have amazing calling. You have amazing purpose on your life. But you'll never, we'll never see them fulfilled until we learn this thing about being, I just call it being a worshiper and being a warrior. And we are in a time of war. And God is wanting to say to the church, you're going to have to go to war. Don't stay at home now. Don't try to act like there's a revival. We're not in a revival. We're in a time of war. There'll be a revival later. There'll be a move of God later where we can just sit around and get healed and get touched and roll around however it looks. I'm into that. But I'm not into it if I'm not supposed to be doing that. I'm into what God wants us to do. And I believe He's called us to go in and out. You know, get worshipped, get renewed, get restored, get filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, and then begin to wage war like Jesus did. You know, however it's going to look in your life, because I don't think we're supposed to define that. But I do think we can, we can say this, that, that, that prayer is a weapon of war. Because if you read Ephesians 6 at the end, that's the last thing he talked about was prayer. And we kind of forget about that being part of what God's army is. We know that the Word of God is a weapon. The two-edged sword, the Word of the Lord, that's a weapon. So you got the Word of the Lord, you got, you got prayer, and you got worship. Worship, worship is warfare. Worship, worship can, you know, the devil, because God's presence is filled in it. And the devil can't stand in God's presence. And so those are some real just natural, practical things we all can do to do warfare. Everybody in this room, you can do all. In fact, we should be doing those things. We should be worshipers. We should be people of the Word. And we should be people people of prayer and begin to speak. So I want to pray, y'all, before we dismiss, I want to pray for those two things. I thought what Will did was amazing about the racism. You know, that was really helped me. You know, because that, that dream really upset me really bad. I mean, it felt real personal to me because I love these black people in this church. If somebody messes with them, I feel like you're messing with me. We're not doing this. You, you know, we're not going to mess with our people. We're, we'll fight you over it. And I feel like the enemy wants to just, and I want the black people, if y'all stand up, would y'all be nice to do that? Or, you know, if you're white, you can just be nice. Let's reach our hands towards them. Yeah, and bless them. And we ask you, Father, for, the, for these black people as representative, and any brown people, if you're a brown person, not that you have a suntan, but if you're a brown person, you know. Yeah, I mean, any person of a, any person 
I want you to stand up because we want to love you. There's Joyce back there. Y'all, some, put your hands on them. I want to just say we, do, we refuse. We, we refuse racism. We refuse this. We refuse it. That's right. We refuse it. We're not going to have that. We're not going to have a prejudiced heart. Jesus, heal our prejudiced hearts. Get prejudiced things out of us, Lord. Protect our people of color, Lord. Lord, I pray is protect them from believers that are ate up with racism, that haven't been delivered. Heal believers. Heal the body of Christ of this evil in the name of Jesus. Just heal us. Heal us and deliver us. And, Lord, we pray you put a blessing on the people of color. And we want to say to the people of color, we need you desperately and that you're important and that we'll fight for you. We really will fight for you. But we won't be pulling out no natural swords and stabbing people like one, like one person in this church did. I'm not going to tell you who he was. I could, but yeah, yeah. One more thing. Come on, Dean. One more thing. I want us to pray about this coronavirus thing, this wave. Okay? I want us to pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom on how to deal with that enforcer. Because, see, I think if we can take the enforcer out, then we can stop it. God does not want this to come our way. Okay? He really doesn't. He doesn't want coronavirus ruling our lives. And it's a real deal, and it kills people, and it hurts people. And we can't just think everything's cool and everything's fine. This thing is real, y'all. So let's just lift our hands to heaven to surrender. Lord, we just ask you tonight, today, in the name of Jesus, that you would show us how, Lord, to pray and stop these plans of the devil. Yeah, Yeah, to disarm these powerful demons, Lord. We just declare that, Lord, you've rebuked. You rebuke Satan, so we're rebuking you with your rebuke, Lord, not our rebuke. Yeah, and Lord, we ask you for every commission of the devil around this coronavirus would be broken in the name of Jesus. Lord, we don't know what the legal thing is, but we ask you to reveal what the legal grounds they have in our lives so we can remove it in the name of Jesus. We, we are going to appeal to the blood of Jesus. We're appealing to the blood. We're appealing, Lord, to the covenant, the covenant that Jesus gave us to protect us and that you would fight for us. You would fight for us because we're under the covenant. And so we just ask you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.